in our first year of marriage, Matt's car got stolen from work and then I got pickpocketed in Seattle and then I fell and busted my ankle and then I came home and there are people robbing our house and and then that next year my mom died and very suddenly and at a young age and two years before that Matt's dad had died very, very young and suddenly and so, you know, it hadn't been easy. We'd gone through all of these types of things but there was nothing like this where it was lengthy. Like, we were yeah. struggling just to make it and I'm thinking, I make like $25 an hour. How am I about to be homeless? How in this day and age does this happen working full time? And that was that was my biggest challenge. And I'm so thankful that I went through that because I never had to experience anything like that before. And it totally changed the way I viewed God providing for me and hearing mm-hmm. me and taking care of me. Matt has always, anytime we've been like in just a little pickle, he's like, you know, God takes, he created the birds of the air. And you know, that verse about like, they don't care where their food comes from. Like they know it's going to be there. And it got to a point where, where I would say something and I'd be like, I know the birds of the air. Like, (laughs) And I would like (laughs) mock him almost. And you know, we would laugh about it, but it's so true. Like if I look back at my life, I, you know, had a father who was absent and doing like really hardcore drugs. And there was, you know, at times there was verbal abuse in my home and occasional physical abuse and having to mature at a young age. And I feel like this was the thing that has really made me rely the most on God. Hi everyone, I'm Elise Marsh and I'm your host here on the Perfectly Wonderfully Made podcast. Thanks for joining me again for episode seven this week. I can't believe we've already had seven episodes. I believe the journey to becoming a parent allows each of us just a glimpse into the heart of a creator who so desperately wants us to know just how chosen, designed, called, and beautiful we all are. He sees you perfectly, wonderfully made. I'm so glad you're here. Whatever you're doing today, I pray you are encouraged by these women who share stories about what God is doing in their lives. You guys, my family took a trip to Portland this last weekend to visit my husband's side of the family. My cousin had had a baby just a week ago, and you better believe I was super eager to see my one-week-old baby cousin. I will never turn down an opportunity to talk about feeding schedules and squaddling and baby wearing and nursing. It was just so fun. I loved the opportunity to get to see my cousin's world change right before her eyes. There's just something about those early postpartum weeks that is so beautiful to me. I could be the only one, but I think there might be some of us out there as well. And I've seen it time and time again. I know each mama probably doesn't feel glamorous after having a baby. You you probably feel quite the opposite. Frumpy and large and leaky and frizzy and very unjowered, possibly quite greasy. But from the outside perspective, if you can take a step back, that mama is so, so beautiful. And watching my cousin just soak in every ounce of her daughter 
learning to love her more and more each moment was just perfection. Her husband was patient and loving and so kind. There were a lot of mistakes, of course. There's baby puke and a whole lot of diapers. And I just sat on the couch with my cousin and laughed so hard when she told me that she had forgotten her peri bottle at the hospital before she left to go home. And for those of you who haven't had a baby before, a peri bottle is a fancy squirt bottle that we get to use instead of toilet paper. And her sister came to the rescue and picked up a condiment bottle at the grocery store. In the meantime, we both got such a good laugh thinking about all the crazy things we do for our babies. And it's just the beginning. Today, I chat with Angela Baker. Angela has recently become a full-time stay-at-home mama and has left her corporate traditional job after 10 years. Angela shares her two very different birth stories with us today. I know you're going to learn so much from her experiences. My favorite part, you guys, of the conversation is when Angela shares about being pregnant with her second baby and unexpectedly her husband lost his job and was without work. Their finances were tight, uncomfortably tight. She talks about her fears of not knowing how she was going to feed her family while being pregnant and trying to stay healthy herself. That's heavy stuff. She shares about what life looked like being on food stamps while pregnant and working full time as the sole source of income for her family. Real life is not always perfect or glamorous. We know that. We all know this, but there is hope, so much hope. And I hope you hear how in the midst of her struggle, the Lord never left her. So let's get to our conversation. Okay, Angela, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. This is so fun. I I mean, we've got to hang out a little bit, Mm -hmm. but not a ton with just getting to chat and no no kids around (laughs) and distractions. So this is super fun. Awesome. So tell everyone, who are you? What does your life look like right now? Who are your people? I am a working mother just recently turned stay-at-home mom. So I'm technically still employed, but my leave's not over yet. But when I'm done, I'm not going to be going back. So um, I am married to my husband, Matt, and we have two little kiddos and just trying to navigate this new transition. um, Our second is just a little over three months old. So we're just still in kind of that phase where we're figuring out like just how to do life. So yeah, that's basically what my life looks like right now. Yeah. That transition from one to two kids is Mm -hmm. is is rough. There's a lot of, I frequently will send my neighbor, Abby messages asking for coffee. She's got a fancy espresso machine. So she's been keeping me, keeping me going. (laughs) That's awesome. Keep the coffee coming. Yeah keeps us going. Awesome. Let's get into your birth story. How did you find out you were pregnant with your son? Which one? Because those stories are 
Yeah, let's so talk different. about Connor's birth story, your oldest. So with Connor, we were trying to get pregnant and or I guess we had just decided that we were going to start trying to have a family and um, I was under the impression it was going to take kind of a long time just because I've always heard stories of multiple months and it did not. It was one time and I was pregnant, so awesome. <laughs> um, I wasn't expecting it and I had with him hyperemesis gravidarum so I was just so sick all the time and by the time I realized what was happening that oh I don't have mono like I just fell asleep at work because like I'm pregnant and I have this issue and I was just throwing up all over from Puyallup to Seattle every day it was just actually I was living in Yelm at the time on like the Nisqually River in this little A-frame house. So I had like four-hour commutes every day, and it was just the pregnancy with him was just so, so rough. By the time I got out of the hospital and into like an OB's office, I was just like, you'll do. Like, I'm so tired. I can't research anything. I can't think about like what type of birth I want. I was just trying to survive at that point. So it did get better um, when I got a little further into my second trimester and I was able to kind of keep my head above water and I stopped throwing up every day and just kind of felt like kind of a normal human again and started reading some books. I think I only read one and it was the Bradley Method. Okay. And I was like, okay, I can do this. I was like, my mom had just passed away the year before. So I, other than little tidbits, I had heard here and there about her birth, I didn't really know much. Mm -hmm. Um, I was always told that I, that she barely made it to the hospital with me, that I shot out like a football. And that was (laughs) like the same thing, like a broken record. Oh, I came out like a football. I came out like a football. And uh, so I was like, oh, I can do this. I was like, she's had two babies and their labors were fast and she had a vaginal delivery. And I was like, I can do this. So we practiced the breathing and the pretend contractions. And that was really all I did to prepare for Connor's birth. And nothing really turned out (laughs) the way it was supposed to. I started having contractions in the evening and I had never had Braxton Hicks. So I knew that it was like time to go. So we sent our dog to the doggy hotel and I took a shower and I ate dinner. And then I watched some of the like Dust Bowl Ken Burns documentary on Netflix. And I was like, (laughs) I just need to go to bed. Like this might, I don't know how long this is going to take. I'm just going to go get some sleep. And I slept from like eight o'clock until one o'clock through the contractions. And then around one, I woke up and was like, okay, maybe I'll get in the tub. I texted my doula and was like, what do you think I should do? And she recommended the tub, but we were living in a tiny little apartment. I could, I mean, if I laid flat on my back in the tub, it wouldn't even cover like my boobs. It was so small. (laughs) So I was just like freezing cold, like my belly, everything was exposed. And I was like, this is not comfortable. Not working for me. I cannot even fit in this tub. So my husband helped me get out and I just kind of labored the rest of the time in my bed. And around, I think, 5.30, our doula came over to the house and just kind of watched me. And at one point I threw up some applesauce, (laughs) which was really disappointing because it was so good when I was eating it. And it just came right out. But she helped me through some contractions. She's like, okay, like, I think we could probably head to the hospital soon. And that was around eight o'clock in the morning. So it'd been like 12 hours so far. And when I got to the hospital, they checked me and 
the, I don't know, maybe I'm just not a fan of cervical checks. I, it was so painful and they're like, oh, you're like almost seven centimeters. Let's go get you an IV placed and you can go into your room. And, uh, the gal who put my IV in, like put it like right on my wrist. Like, so I couldn't even bend my wrist. And I was like, I can't like work through contractions like this. And it, and it was so painful. And so I feel like those were just two things that kind of started like, I was, I could feel my body tightening up and just the adrenaline was flowing and I just wasn't comfortable anymore. And we went in the room and the contractions, I don't feel like they had changed, but I felt like I was just not not, coping. I was not able to work through them like I, like I had been at home. Um, at one point I asked for some fentanyl and they gave that to me and I was like, oh, this is awesome. Like (laughs) I just feel kind of wasted. And so, but you can only have that like twice during your whole labor. And I was still, you know, pretty, I mean, I guess I was seven centimeters, so I wasn't, you know, in the very beginning, but um, yeah, I you had did it great at staying home yeah, in that early and, labor portion. And those contractions were so like smooth and gradual and like an actual like wave, like they described mm-hmm. in that book. And so I was like, this is going to be a piece of cake. But when I got to the hospital, um, like I said, all that stuff kind of happened and I could feel my body being like, no, we're done here. And, um, I kept getting checked throughout the day from the nurses and my OB and she was like, oh, you're just not progressing. And I mean, now when I look back on it, I'm like, duh, like there were like people running in my room all the time. And it was just, it was not a great kind of environment for that first time. I didn't prepare for those types of scenarios. I just prepared for, you know, what I wanted to happen. So my doctor uh, broke my water. She said that, you know, we'll just, we'll, we need to do this to kind of get you going. You're on the clock, you know, that stuff they say to every <laughs> mom who's trying to birth a baby. And so she broke my water and my contractions at, the, at that point just like stacked right on top of each other. Mm. There was like no rest period. I don't even think there was like a three second rest period. Like oh. I, and I kind of panicked because I was like, okay, there's definitely no way I can do this. Like, this is so painful. I couldn't rest. I remember at one point they put me in the tub to see if it could help <clears throat> slow them down. And I fell asleep and then I woke up like screaming. And I was oh, like that Angela. girl. I was that girl that you see on the movies, like screaming at the top of her lungs. You can hear her like down the hallway. No, con- like I was out of control. And I remember screaming like through the contractions and thinking I really wish I could hear what I sounded like because Mm. I I felt out of control I knew I was out of control and at that point I knew there was like no coming back so okay I need to get an epidural I was like I'm I feel like I'm just kind of gonna die (laughs) so because I just couldn't get control of my body anymore yeah and so the anesthesiologist came down to place the epidural and it took like over an hour to get it in and he had poked me a few times and he's like, okay, it's in, you know, you should be good to go. And I lay down on the bed and had a contraction and nothing, like there was no pain relief. And I just remember looking at him and he pulled out his iPhone and like texted, he called somebody and he's like, uh, I think I might need your help down here. I put the epidural in, but, uh, she's still screaming. Like she shouldn't be able to feel this. So <gasps> that's never this, a good sign yeah. from your anesthesiologist. I was just like, you got, cause I had been like hunched over for like yeah, over so an long. hour and having those like nonstop contractions like that was so bad and so this little angel woman she's like this short little Indian gal came down and she's like oh and she like whipped it up and I had an epidural in like five minutes flat and I was just like you are my savior like it worked right away and I don't know what the the issue was with the other guy but um I laid down and I fell asleep and when I woke Mm. up 
a few hours later, they were giving me like penicillin. They said I had a fever. And then they oh, were wow. also giving me Pitocin because they wanted me to progress more. I, I don't, that whole situation is so foggy to me. Matt was taking notes like at what time they were doing everything. And for, from then for the next three weeks, I was basically in a fog, but they gave me the Pitocin. I think I fell asleep again. Um, then I woke up and they're like, okay, we're going to check you. And I think you can start pushing. And I was like, oh, finally, like this is going to be over. I pushed once and I was like, oh, this feels awesome. And then I pushed again. And like the second time I pushed, it was like, I felt someone like grabbing my hair and like pulling it, like pulling it, my head backwards as hard as I could. Like Mm. my shoulders were so tight and I was just, it was the most incredible pain. It was more painful than the contractions I'd been having. And I was just like, told my doula, I was like, can you please rub my shoulders? Please rub my shoulders. I was like, I, this, there's something wrong. This is so tight. Like I can't even lift my body at this point. And everyone keeps saying, okay, I want you to push. I want to see you push. And I'm thinking I can't lift my body. Like I cannot Mm. lift the top half of my body. I was like, every time I lift my head off the pillow, I'm in like excruciating pain. And so they were like, okay, just, you know, take a break and we'll kind of see, you know, what we can do. And I think my OB came in, she made me push. The anesthesiologist came in and they wanted to see me push. And then the surgeon came in and they wanted to see me push. And I heard the surgeon from across the room say, I can't operate on this woman. How am I supposed to sedate her? Like she's already has an epidural and she's like writhing in pain. And me and Matt just looked at each other and thinking, how are they going to get this baby out of me? Like I, I cannot push. And he was right there. Yeah. And he was right there. I was like fully dilated. I'm thinking back. I'm like, why didn't they just like use the vacuum or something? But they opted for the C-section and some old school guy came down and like gave me some sort of like laughing gas cocktail and they took out Connor and I gave him a little kiss on the cheek and then they took him and I was out and I woke up maybe like I don't even know how long the time frame was but I woke up I could feel like the pressure on my stomach them like I don't know if they were pulling something out or trying to put something back in but the pressure I was like hey I can feel that and they're like no you can't and I'm like no I I can feel you're like tugging on me and they're like you're fine and I'm like okay so I just kind of laid there and that whole thing like going into the OR was so traumatizing. I was on this, I felt like I was on like a two by four, like the table was so narrow, like I was going to tip off the side and they like pinned my arms down on like out. I was like kind of Jesus on the cross, like with my arms out, taped down and the room was so cold. And I remember they wheeled me in there like, we're just getting prepped. And I'm like, but nobody like came and like talked to me and like told me kind of what was going on. And they had stuck Matt in a room by himself and they're like, put these scrubs on. And he was in there for like 20 minutes and he's so like calm and steady and just like nothing really phases him. And he like had an anxiety attack. He's like, I don't know what's going on. Like, is my wife going to die? Like nobody's telling me anything. And so mm-hmm. we were both kind of <laughs> at the same time having little panic attacks about what was happening. But after, after I woke up and they were sewing me up, I remember, I don't know if it was actually my surgeon or the OB, but one of them said, oh, for your next baby, you just need to schedule repeat C-section. Like you can't, this pelvis is too small. You can't push a baby out of this pelvis. And I was just like, okay, <laughs> like, mm. thanks for the information. I mean, you're obviously staring at my pelvis. You're supposed to know more than I am about this. So I felt very defeated in that moment. And I was, I mean, obviously I was on all these different types of medications, so I was just out of it. But I remember holding Connor and, and a friend had texted me and they're like, aren't you just so in love with your baby? And I was just like, I don't know. Like, I feel like I have no emotions right now. Like I, 
like this did not happen the way, the way it was supposed to. And I don't mm-hmm. think I was feeling that way because the birth didn't happen how it was supposed to. I was just like, I feel like I didn't get that like hormonal hit like <laughs> that I was supposed sure. to. And I was just like, I know I'm going to love him and I know I love him now, but I just felt kind of like disconnected. Yeah. And I slept a lot. And then the next, maybe it was a couple hours, I tried to get up and I was just like still in this crazy pain. And they're like, okay, we think you have a spinal headache. And I'm just like, they need to pick a new way to name that thing because I have had headaches all my life. And that was like the most excruciating pain. Now having delivered a natural (laughs) vaginal birth, I would pick that any day over getting the spinal headache again. Like it was the most painful thing I've ever gone through. And so because I had that, I had to be flat on my back for two weeks and I couldn't nurse my baby. I couldn't pick him up. If I wanted to, if I had to go to the bathroom, I had to like roll out of bed and kind of like put my head down by my toes and like walk that way into the bathroom because So, like, for anyone who doesn't know, a spinal headache is when, like, the spinal, they puncture your spinal column and the fluid leaks out. And so there's nothing supporting your brain anymore. So your brain is, like, resting on your skull, basically. And it's just, it's so painful. Uh, So I had to lay flat on my back. And because of that, yeah, no milk, nothing. So um, that was really, really rough. And just having that trauma, I think I almost had, like, from the hyperemesis gravidarum and then from that, just a little PTSD, I think, going into my next one. Like, what's going to happen? Like, can I do this again? I, you know, I just didn't know that I could really handle it. Yeah. So that was was my first introduction to (laughs) bringing a baby into the world. So what were those first few weeks and months like? Home with your little boy, adjusting to being a mama for the first time, and how did your relationship with your spouse change during that time? Well, during that time, so for the first two weeks, I was still on all of this, like, pain meds, and so I was very foggy and just still kind of detached I think um I slept most of the time and my poor husband was he was having to feed the baby and change the baby and put him down and also make sure that I was getting my medicines on time and feeding me and I don't know when he slept but we once he went back to work and my headache finally went away it was very I spent a lot of time just sitting in the living room watching Netflix like (laughs) not doing anything because I was in an apartment at the time and it was, we were heading into the winter season and so it was really dark and rainy and I felt very isolated and Mm. I was so appreciative of my husband. He was working, so he wasn't there, but I was just, I remember like feeling this level of exhaustion that I was like, I've never experienced this before. Like, like this is going to end, right? (laughs) Like Mm. I was just like, I didn't know how, how to function being that level of tired. And I mean, I don't think it really changed like the way that like Matt and I saw each other. I think it just made, I mean, I guess it made us just really appreciative of having that support. I can't imagine, like I was raised by a single mom and thinking about not having that, that person that's always there to like, you know, can you please change the baby or can you even just hold the baby so I can go to the bathroom, like that type of thing. I can't imagine doing that alone. So just knowing that there are people in those situations made me even more grateful to to have him there. So 
Yeah. So at what point did you guys start thinking about having another baby? What was that season like for you guys? We went to Ireland in 2015 and that was in September and I had already done the math. Like I knew I wanted a a baby to be conceived in September so I could have the summer off. I work for a huge company and we have this massive sale in July. And so those months leading up to the summer and then the summer are just like crazy busy. And I'm like, I just want to like stay home and have it be sunny and go on walks and watch Little House on the Prairie. Like I just want to have that time. And so he's like, okay, well maybe we can make a baby in Ireland. Like that would be a really fun story. And then we went to Ireland and I was like, I don't think I'm ready yet. Like Connor had, he was just turning three and he'd been so great up until then. Like he didn't really throw fits or anything. Like he was, the pregnancy was kind of terrible, but as a baby, he was just a dream. And, but I just kind of panicked a little bit and I'm like, uh, I think maybe we should wait one more year. And so, uh, this September or this 2016, we decided, okay, we'll get pregnant in September. And I had been, not ovulating regularly my whole life I had like never missed a period and from about May until September I was going like 40 days 60 days 50 days like Mm. without having my period and I wasted so much money on pregnancy tests thinking you know well maybe I maybe you know the condom didn't work and and so and I was never pregnant and I kept feeling like oh man like this just kind of sucks like what's going on with my body it had never ever done anything like that before and so September came around and Matt's like okay well do you want to start trying and I'm thinking I don't even know when I'm fertile like this whole like last four or five months with this crazy like ovulation like I don't even know like we can't do the family planning math because it could Mm -hmm. be totally wrong and so I was just like all right let's start trying and maybe you know maybe one of the little guys will get there we'll get lucky but I assumed that it was probably going to be a couple months of trying and then sure enough in the middle of October I was working out at V and I was like I felt like I was gonna vomit and I was working hard but I was like I've never worked worked out to the point like where I thought I was gonna puke and I went home and I took a pregnancy test and I was like oh my goodness like we had only tried once so I don't know I know that that's not the story for everyone and I'm like so thankful that that's been our story because I know it can be really hard but I was really surprised I was not expecting it we did end up getting pregnant in September and you know had our June baby and so that was the timing worked perfectly so that's awesome so what was pregnancy like and just leading up to your second baby's birth pregnancy was amazing I had we had been going through some stuff financially my husband got laid off the may before we started trying and in september when we started trying i was assuming he was gonna start work he went to a job fair and was asked to work for um, a local school district um, as a substitute and then the woman that he was working with to get hired kind of was dragging her feet and so it ended up going from september until january um, that he was not working so then I'm pregnant and thinking, oh gosh, like I might get super sick again and miss work. And I had the sole responsibility now of feeding my family and, you know, making sure that the bills were paid. I had the only income. And so I just kind of said, okay, like I have to like let go of this. I told God in the bathroom, I was like, you have to take over. I had just taken the pregnancy test and I was Mm -hmm. like, okay. I was like, here's what's going to happen. I was like, you have to take control of this pregnancy. I was like, I cannot get sick. I cannot get the flu. Like I, 
I cannot handle this if I have another pregnancy like I had with Connor. I was like, I cannot miss work. I am the only person bringing in money. And I was like, I need to be able to provide for them. So I just remember saying that. And I thought that was kind of really stupid. Like, you can't really make demands of God. But I was just like, honestly, this is what I need. Like, Mm -hmm. this is this is what I need to make it through this season. And, you know, we had already been, it was getting really rough paying bills and paying the heat bill and, you know, having food. And I was just like, I don't know if I can do this. So Hmm. I did not get sick once. I did not throw up once. I didn't get the flu. Everyone in my house threw up that year except me, like (laughs) from sickness. And so like, obviously, like looking back, on that season, like I am able to see like everything God was doing. But like when I was in the midst of it, I was so focused on the fact that we like had no money basically for anything. I mean, we paid the bills sometimes, you know, and just making sure that we were feeding our family was the most important thing. But that was, that was an incredible blessing. And just knowing that you can have a traumatic story and, but it doesn't have to keep repeating itself. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that was really amazing. And there were actually a few times when I went to the doctor for my checkups and I was just waiting for them to tell me that I was no longer pregnant, that I had miscarried because I did not feel pregnant. I was, I felt so normal. Like I wasn't Mm -hmm. tired all the time. I wasn't like, I just, I didn't feel pregnant. I knew I was pregnant. My pants weren't fitting. Like, I was, ar- like, so early I had to start wearing, like, leggings and maternity pants. But I just, I didn't have those aches and pains that come with carrying a baby. What a blessing. Yeah. It That's was. so good. I'm, I mean, I'm praying that that happens the next time as well. So. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So cool. What decisions did you make this time that were maybe different or the same than your first pregnancy? Oh, so much. Um, I really kind of threw myself into reading and researching and listening to podcasts and just like sucking up as much information as I could because of what I did go through with Connor. I, I did not want to experience that again. And, you know, I had chosen a doula the first time, but I basically picked her because she was the least expensive person, like, you know, and it turned out that we just weren't that great of a match. And so even like that, I was trying to do something great, Mm. you know, for my labor, but I just, I couldn't put enough effort into it because I was so sick. But so this time around, I read a lot of books. I finally read Ina May's Guide to Childbirth, which like blew my mind, Mm -hmm. not only reading like the birth stories, but just getting like even the history of birth and why women lay down the way they do and just knowing that information just really kind of I felt very armed and like ready to go and I was so excited to give birth like I I remember something like are you are you scared and I'm like no I'm so excited like I felt like a kid like going to Disneyland like I I didn't want to be pregnant anymore because I wanted to do the labor. Like, I mean, awesome. the pregnancy was a breeze, but I was so excited. I had chosen a new hospital that was like VBAC friendly and I chose an OB that was supportive of VBACs. And I, you know, I was drinking my red raspberry leaf tea every single day. It was 
I mean, I even went as far as um, ordering, like, they call it Little Lady Hoo-Ha Spray. It's like a oil mixture, and you spray it on your hoo-ha, and it helps. Sounds great. <laughs> it helps prepare the skin so you don't tear. Because, I mean, as you probably know, I don't feel like there's as much support for that area, like, as far as the... I mean, some nurses are great, but, I mean, for yeah. the most part, they just either let you tear or they, give, they cut you. So, but I didn't want, <laughs> I didn't want that. So, yeah. um, I was doing what I could to prepare my body that way because we were in like in such a financial dire situation and like eating what the food bank gave us like I couldn't focus on nutrition as as much as I you know wanted to I'm normally like kind of a freak when it comes to food and making sure that I'm eating whole foods and just not a bunch of junk so that was hard for me but I was just like I just told God I was like I'm just trusting that you're gonna take care of this baby like I'm just eating because I need to eat so just like take care of my body and for my whole family for my husband my son as well I was reading the books getting my mind ready I listened to a lot of podcasts you had sent me the birthful podcast which I had I don't even know how I found that one before you sent it to me, but I think I had listened to one you had sent me and I, I loved the guests that she had on that show. Cause I was just gleaning so much information from them. I, you know, couldn't believe what I was learning. And I had already been really passionate about like birth and thinking about becoming a doula or a childbirth educator. So just really going after it that way, I just felt very prepared and, and also giving myself the grace to like accept whatever happened because yeah. I know that I could prepare and I know that I could work hard, but you know, I really wanted to be back and I thought it was possible for me. There was no reason. The only reason I had a C-section was because my botched up a dural. Like right. there was no reason why I shouldn't have had a vaginal delivery. So I was the perfect candidate. I, at the end of my pregnancy, I had only gained eight pounds. So I was just like, wow, in prime shape. <laughs> so, you know, I, I wanted it and I knew it was possible, but I also knew that it might not happen. And I was okay with that. Like I had, I think I had healed from that experience. I still remember everything. And so I think it kind of makes me a great advocate. Um, But I was, I was okay either way. So, and thankfully it didn't happen. I was able to, to have that vaginal delivery. So, so talk with us about labor, going into labor. What was that experience like for you? So crazy. It was so fast. I, had my my due date was on a Wednesday and um, I was talking to my OB and she's like you know she's like I really think that if you're not in labor by Sunday you need to um, schedule an induction and that kind of made me feel sad a little bit because I thought maybe she was trying to like bait and switch me um, Mm. you know because you hear about that all the time and she was like I just I'm not sure I trust some of my colleagues to actually follow the plan she's like I think they'll try to push you into a c-section because she was going out of town and so after she said that I understood why she was recommending that she didn't wasn't trying to push me for a c-section she just wanted to make sure that no one else tried to make me do that Um, so I was like okay I went home and I talked to my neighbor Abby and we just prayed about it and she is my like little prayer warrior in my pocket. Like anytime I have a problem, I reach out to her, but we went on a two mile walk. And then when we got home, it was like 10 o'clock and we stood outside my house and she just prayed over me. And then at 4:30 in the morning, I woke up and was having contractions. And I thought that it was going to kind of be like last time, like, okay, I can get up and I can take a shower and I can do my makeup and I'll make this breakfast. And I just got all these awesome avocados. I really wanted to eat at breakfast time. And I woke up at 4.30 and I was like, I got to go to the bathroom. And then it was like straight out of the gate, like just pain. I, they were not gradual. They were so, so strong. And I was not expecting it at all. I, 
I think I woke my husband up at 5.30 and was like, you need to get Connor to daycare. I was like, I'm starting to get loud. I'd only been in labor an hour and I was starting to get kind of loud. And so he's like, okay. So we got him dressed and got him out of the house. And uh, when I got in the shower, when he was gone and I I think that kind of helped a little bit. Had I been having like any type of back labor, it probably would have been awesome. But my contractions were like the length of my C-section scar mm. directly under my C-section scar. There was pain nowhere else in my body. It was so centralized to that spot. And I, and they, like I said, it was so, so strong. I think I texted you. I was like, these are a lot more painful than I remember. Um, and you told me to get a comb and like squeeze on the comb, which yeah. helped. So yeah. I had the awesome privilege of being Angela's doula this time around. And when she text, texted me how she was doing and how labor was progressing, I was like, okay, go find a comb in your house and you turn the like bristle part mm-hmm. towards your hand and you squeeze that comb mm-hmm. as hard as you can during your contractions and it actually reroutes the pain sensors in your brain. So it decreases yeah. your perception of pain. It works so well until it doesn't, but mm-hmm. it'll get you through <laughs> quite a long ways. Yeah. So there was no one home um, at this time. We had a neighbor who was renovating his house and he was doing work outside. And I just thought, oh man, I wonder what he thinks is happening. Like, because I wasn't screaming this time, but I was like moaning and like just being very vocal. And I remember I had printed off all these beautiful like birth affirmations and put them on my wall. And I made this great sign for my door. Like, you know, we're trying to keep this a nice, quiet environment, blah, blah, blah. And I like that's just went out the window. Like Mm. Matt came in and was like, do you think we need to get going? And it was like only nine something. And I'm like, I've only been in labor for a few hours. No, like I'm going to get there and they're going to send me away. Like I need to labor as long as I can at home. And then I don't know what happened, but. And I don't think you even texted me until like nine. Yeah. So you had been in labor quite a while before I even heard a peep out of you. Yeah. I like I was like I can't be a wuss. Like I don't understand why this is so much harder this time around. And I I remember at one point like Matt had already started packing the car. He was like, I don't know what this woman is thinking, but she's going to go to the hospital pretty soon. So he was packing the car and I got up to try and walk out to the to the to the kitchen, I guess. I don't know. And he walked by me and I had a contraction and I reached out and like put my hand on him. That was the only time I ever leaned on him that whole labor because it had happened so fast. I was laying in bed most of the time. Then we were in the car to the hospital. And then as soon as we were at the hospital, it was like show's over, like the baby's out. And so I was just like, this is like the easiest pregnancy for you. I only touched you once. <laughs> like <laughs> I went to go get in the car and at, at one point I thought, I'm going to have to call an ambulance. Like I don't know what happened in between the last hour, but I knew that he was soon. And so I got out to the car, Matt got in the car, we flew over to Tacoma and thankfully we made it. There was an accident right at the bottom of the hill before we got to the ER that we had to wait. And Matt was like, my wife's in labor. And the police is like, just wait. And I was like, <laughs> you don't understand. Like, I'm like right there. And we got to the ER and the poor little valet guy was like, do you need a nurse? And my husband's like, I'm like screaming. I, I think I let out like a scream at that point. And they rolled me in there and the check-in lady's like, uh, I need an insurance card, please. And I'm just like, no, this is not happening. They wheeled me back to one of the triage rooms and Matt was trying to like find it in my bag and she's like oh just go you're fine just fill it out later and so we got in there and I remember you saying okay Angela this room's gonna get really busy really fast and like sure enough like 14 people like flew in and surrounded Mm -hmm. me and were just like touching me I like I don't even know what happened someone took off my Birkenstocks and they were just gone and I was like 
someone I heard someone say oh she's like a nine she a nine can we get her upstairs and I'm thinking I don't want to have the baby in the ER like so uh they got an OB from upstairs like an on-call lady and she came down she's like I'm gonna check you sweetheart we're gonna take you upstairs and and they did they did finally get me upstairs and I remember at one point someone said who's her doctor and someone's like and my doctor just happened to be in the hall coming out of a C-section. So she was there. It was perfect. I got into the room and I got on the bed and I kind of like leaned over the side of the bed. The back was up. And that was a really awesome position, I think, because I wasn't like squatting, but I also wasn't on my back. And I remember just being, I felt like a horse. I was like shaking my head and my hair had been in a braid, but I was like Mm. just kind of shaking my head so much. All my hair was down in my face and it was like making the noise, trying to, trying to work through it because my body was like pushing. I remember my doctor saying, don't push. I need to check you. And you were helping me, you know, try not to push, try to do this. And I was just like, how do you stop this train? Like, it's just so fast. And eventually she was like, oh, I mean, it wasn't even eventually. I don't even know. It was like 10 or 15 minutes being in the room. And they're like, oh, you can push now. And it was like, as soon as I turned over, it was like everything just slowed down. Like, Mm -hmm. I, I don't know what happens, like in your body to make that happen but I felt like I was like oh here's a contraction and like I would push and then I would just rest and you got some break yeah and like the doctor and the nurse were just chat like leaned against the wall kicked back chatting and and then I was like oh here comes another one and I mean I don't know how many pushes I actually did maybe like five I don't know you pushed about a half an hour yeah so you kept saying, oh, his head's right there. He's got so much hair. And I remember feeling like nothing down there. Like there was no like pressure or ring of fire. Like I I was like, are you sure? Like I don't feel anything. Like hmm. in all of those birth stories I had heard or read and heard about, they talk about feeling and like move through the birth canal. And I just remember, I feel like my doctor put like one finger like down there to maybe open it up a little bit and he just shot right out and I don't remember Mm. his head leaving my body but I remember feeling his like bony elbows and knees Mm. like come out of me and and they put him on my tummy and I was just like I cannot believe that just happened like it happened so fast and then he peed on me and I just like stroked his little cheek and I was just like I'm really hungry like I felt like I was like I I had no, I didn't even have an IV. My IV got taken out. So it was just like so perfect. Mm -hmm. And, and I wasn't on any medication. Like my husband, he said, you had an unmedicated vaginal delivery and you took like two ibuprofen. Like that is Mm -hmm. so BA. And I was like, Mm -hmm. it's like, it was just, I mean, I know that can't be the story for everyone, but it was like, so like redeeming for me and just knowing that I could do that and I, I can do hard things and I am not scared of birth. I wasn't scared of birth when I was going into labor with Connor. I was not scared this time. I was so excited and I was just so grateful that it actually, I mean, if anything, I wish it would have gone a little bit slower because Mm -hmm. you and I didn't even get to really work together. (laughs) Like I know you didn't even make it to my house. Like you hopped on river road and were following us over there. So yeah, it was, it was amazing. And then my sister brought me shake, shake, shake. So it was like perfect. (laughs) That's good stuff. So what was your postpartum experience like with Lyndon, your second baby? Uh, With Lyndon, it was so much better. I was in less pain. I only tore like a teeny, teeny bit. I think I had one stitch. And we we have a little bit of mismatched anatomy. I think my chest is a little bigger than his mouth. So nursing was a bit of a struggle. But 
we saw the lactation consultant a lot. He was supplemented, um, which I was fine with because kiddos got to eat. And as far as healing, I, my body healed so well. Like I remember after my C-section, I bled and had to wear pads for months and Mm. just, there was just, I feel like so much stuff still coming out of me. And this time I think I wore pads for like two weeks and then I was just done. So as far as my physical healing went, it was wonderful. And then being home and having Matt, he was, had been subbing and, um, was going to be start teaching that, uh, September. So having him home for the summer was a huge, huge help. I'm sure that my postpartum experience would have been so different if I didn't have someone there with me all the time. So, and it was great too. Cause I, it was, I mean, we had a beautiful summer and I didn't want Connor to be cooped up in the house with me and the baby. And so Matt and him went off and did a lot of adventures and basically everything free <laughs> in the Puget Sound they did. So that's awesome. Yeah. So it was really great. And I'm still, I mean, I tried everything to up my supply, but I think we're just kind of at a point where it's like, it's as much as I'm going to get. So, um, I'm still nursing him and he's still bottle fed, but the other day I gave him a little taste of, I think I was making like sweet potato stocking the freezer with baby food. Cause I'm like, eh, it's the season for these things. So, and I gave him a little bit and he was just so excited. So I'm really looking forward to, to that part. And yeah, that's fun. Yeah. That's the postpartum awesome. has been great. Matt's back to work now he's gone a lot first year teaching. So, and in elementary school, so it's just like herding cats. So he's like, he's not really able to help right now. So I'm just trying to hold down the fort Yeah, at home, That's make it lot. easy for him as well. So, yeah. So what's kind of, what's one of the biggest challenges that you're facing in your life right now? I feel like I just came out of my biggest challenge. I, um, have been feeling for years now that like God just isn't speaking to me, um, that he's just like, I know he's there in my head, but in my heart, like, I just don't feel that nearness that I used to. And, and having that disconnect and then going through the season where, you know, one of us is unemployed and, you know, having to utilize like food banks and, you know, our neighbors bringing us food and people just, just totally supporting us and carrying us through that season. Like, I I remember at one point it got really bad and we had our car die in downtown Seattle right outside my employer and all we had left was our food money until I got paid again and like the exact bill that we had to pay was exactly our food money and I we were in the car and I told my husband I was like can you please just reach out to like one of your friends and just tell them we're having a hard time and like we need like $50 we'll pay you back and he was like he put his hand on my knee and he's like, why don't we just see what God will do in this situation? And I was so mad that he said that. I'm like, God does not listen to me. He's not Mm -hmm. answering my prayers. And I'm like, how stupid. Like, Angela, you're having the most amazing pregnancy of your life. Like you're still eating food. Like God is answering your prayers. But in that situation, I did not see any of that happening. Like all of the, it was just like fear. And you know, where is, where is our provision going to come from? And I couldn't see that I was being taken care of the whole time. And he said that and I was like, okay, fine. Let's see what God's going to do. Like, cause I don't know if you know this, but God's not listening to me. So, Mm. um, (laughs) by the end of the week, someone had given us a thousand dollars. So I was like, okay, like you are hearing me. And like, maybe it's me. Like, I'm just not hearing you or I'm not 
being still enough or listening enough. I don't know. So um, that was definitely one of the biggest challenges. I grew up with a single mom who worked really hard, but we were very poor. We ate a lot of egg sandwiches for dinner, Mm. cheese sandwiches for lunch. So being in that situation and living through that, like turning into an adult who like all of my security was in my finances. Like if I had money in the bank and my bills were paid, I was fine. And, and I've known for years that that's like an idol for me. And like, I don't want to be a millionaire. Like I just want to feel secure. And so, um, being able to hit rock bottom and literally have no control and finally because like I could be like oh well hey can I borrow like a hundred dollars here or there like I could kind of finagle my way through things but in March of that year it got to a point where I was just like I have no options like I just have to let go of of that control like I was gripping on to the last little bit I could and as soon as I let go things started to change around for us and so that is the biggest challenge that we have been through through our marriage I mean we We, in our first year of marriage, Matt's car got stolen from work, and then I got pickpocketed in Seattle, and then I fell and broke, like, busted my ankle, and then I came home, and there were people robbing our house, and, and then that next year, my mom died, and very suddenly, and at a young age, and two years before that, Matt's dad had died, very, very young, and suddenly, and so, you know, it hadn't been easy. We'd gone through all of these types of things, but there was nothing like this where it was lengthy. Like we were struggling for almost a whole year just to make it. And I'm thinking, I make like $25 an hour. How am I about to be homeless? Like how in this day and age does this happen? Like working full time and and like I didn't have like crazy like credit card bills like I had a crazy heat bill and I had Mm -hmm. you know rent that I had to pay and everyone knows this market is just bananas right now so prices are on rent and everything are going up but um that was that was my biggest challenge and I'm so thankful that I went through that because I never had to experience anything like that before and and it totally changed the way I viewed God providing for me and hearing Mm -hmm. me and taking care of me. Matt has always, anytime we've been like in just a little pickle, he's like, you know, God takes, he created the birds of the air. And you know, that verse about like, they don't care where their food comes from. Like they know it's going to be there. And it got to a point where, where I would say something and I'd be like, I know the birds of the air. Like, (laughs) And I would like (laughs) mock him almost. And you know, we would laugh about it, but it's so true. Like, like if I look back at my life, like I, you know, had a father who was absent and, you know, doing like really hardcore drugs. And there was, you know, at times there was verbal abuse in my home and occasional physical abuse and, you know, being very, having to mature at a young age and just like going through those things I've gone through. I feel like, like this was the thing that has really made me rely the most on God, especially being a mother and like, oh, my basic duty is to like feed and nurture my children. And like thinking that I wasn't going to be able to do that was like, that broke me. But I think it was a blessing. So because I needed to experience that because now I've worked for this company for 10 years and I'm just stepping away. Like I'm going to be like, okay, I'm done. God's going to take care of us. Yeah. Even if, you know, well, maybe your paycheck is going to be small. Well, we'll eat some rice and beans like it'll be fine god's gonna take care of us so right isn't that crazy how we walk through certain seasons of life and your just perspective changes yeah and your outlook on the world is so different yes you know i mean life can change so quickly yeah and that's the person who gave us the like thousand dollars when we were like (laughs) at the bottom of the barrel was like you know 
I know how fast situations can change and how people who work full-time jobs can end up sleeping in their cars, like families living in their cars. Like, I mean, we didn't get to that point, but she was like, it can change in an instant. And I mean, I had experienced that and it's so true. And so, and even more so now, it just makes me so much more, I think, compassionate and like an advocate for like single moms or, or women who, you know, just work like minimum wage jobs. I mean, how do they even do that? Like, I pray that they have a relationship with Jesus that is like carrying them through that season because I don't understand how people can go through things like that and not, and not have a relationship with God. If the prior things that I'd experienced in my life, if I didn't have this relationship that I have now, I would not be this person. Like, I would be a mess. Yeah, yeah. God's good. He saves us all. We all need salvation mm-hmm. for sure. So looking back at the last year of your life and that, you know, that really trying financial mm-hmm. season that you were in, mm-hmm. what do you feel like God's doing in your life right now? I mean, I think just having the time to actually just sit and and read the Bible is like a huge luxury and I think I feel like I'm getting to know like an old friend, like someone I was like really close with in high school. And then we kind of went to different colleges and now we're getting back together. And um, it's giving me, you know, like the ideas I had about life as a high schooler are totally different now, just even about like social and cultural things. And so being able to like approach that again with like it's almost like I'm relearning everything. So just getting this dose of like freshness and just feeling very content I guess yeah. in my life like I don't feel like I'm striving for anything like I would love to have more of like a routine at home for my kiddos but I'm like if that's my biggest worry right now I think we're doing pretty good so yeah this season I feel like is just about getting back to to where I the main thing yeah yeah I love what you said about contentment mm-hmm. comparison is a thief of joy yes and absolutely. when we can find contentment in our season i think mm-hmm. the lord's so faithful to just pour out joy yeah. and happiness and where right where we are in our our circumstance may not have changed mm-hmm. but even you know paul talks about that learning to be content yeah and every season mm-hmm. is really where we find yeah such joy and i love that that's definitely any disappointment I feel like I might have had has been because I was comparing my situation to someone else's. Like, they were able to, I mean, even comparing my birth to my mother's birth. I'm like, well, how, what what was so great about her body that she could, you know, push out a baby in four hours flat? Like, <laughs> how did she do that? How come I can't do this? What's wrong with me? You know? Yeah. So that's totally true. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so switching gears, what mm-hmm. are three things in this season of your life that you cannot live without? Postpartum things that I can't live without. I'm loving podcasts. Oh, okay. um, I awesome. have just subscribed to so many, and I just saw Fierce Marriage started one, which I'm so yes. excited about. And I actually think that that is how. I started following Jeff on social media because I was following him before I knew you. I knew of you from his post, but I, uh, I think because he was doing a lot of the, or they were using a lot of his photography for that. And so I was like, who's this Jeff Marsh? And I was like, oh, he knows like a million people I do because we were also kind of going to the same church at the same time. Um, And then I saw a picture of his dad hiking in like cut off Levi's, that old film project. Yes. Is my favorite. It's still one of my favorite things. I keep thinking, oh, when is he going to post another picture? Um, All right, Jeff, you heard that. Yeah. Challenge. So um, I was 
I was filming. Anyhow, so I'm super into podcasts. So I'm loving that one. I Ooh. love Jen Hatmaker. Uh, so good. The Bible Project is also another one that I'm really loving. So that's kind of filling my soul is the podcast because I can listen to those while I'm nursing or whatever. Uh, I'm living off of V Bites, like the energy bites. Those things save me in the middle of the night when I have to wake up to pump or... And Connor's obsessed with them. If I'm like so tired in the morning and he's like, mom, can I watch a show? I'm like, yes, just turn on a show. Go, go get an energy bite. So those so things tell are... tell our listeners, <laughs> what are V-bites? So, if we've never heard of a V-bite, what is a V-bite? You can go and get them an Anthem. You can make them yourself. They're so easy. But I, so that was one of the things I did before labor. I reached out to a gal and was like, can you please make me a couple dozen of these things? Like I'm obsessed with them, but it's basically oats peanut butter, honey, chia seeds, flax seeds, shredded coconut, um, and like a splash of vanilla. I, when I make them at home, I like to add a pinch of sea salt and you put them in the fridge and then you just roll them into balls. You don't have to bake them. You can freeze them, keep them. They're just so wonderful. And they're great for like breastfeeding moms. You know, they've got the good healthy fats. You can make them with like almond butter or whatever, but I, I love them. I prefer to purchase them from Catherine because she makes them like big honkin' size. So you so can, for those yeah. <laughs> of you who are local to Puyallup or Tacoma area, um, head on down to your local Anthem yes. coffee shop. And Catherine Burke, our at Bacon Be Fit, mm-hmm. has um, pre-made some of these lovely balls of joy yeah, for you so to partake good. in. And she just made a batch of pumpkin ones, and I haven't had them. So I think I'm going to have her make me a batch, but... They look so good. So those have been saving my life right now. And then I think lastly, just kind of getting out into community. I have, you know, with my first pregnancy, I was very lonely and isolated. and I didn't even have like neighbors. Like I was living in an apartment and uh, no, none of my neighbors talked to me. But um, right now in this season, having like girlfriends that I can text and just have coffee on my porch with and talk to about like the most grossest like mom things or just like hey you want to go to Fred Meyer like just whatever it's yeah being having that community has really made me feel kind of alive I guess um I don't feel I don't feel isolated I don't feel lonely I don't feel the anxiety I felt the last time those those three things right now are key so it's feeding my body feeding my soul and just my social calendar (laughs) yeah that's great I mean I think as women too we we need time to talk mm-hmm. to other women. Yes. Without without kids. Because you can bring your kids around, but it's like, I end up being like, no, Connor, hey, put that down. Stop touching your, like, you right. know, and you can't really focus. So, yes, being yeah. able to do that is. I think it's part of, I think God, de- well, go- A, God designed us to live in community. Mm-hmm. And B, I think that's how the Lord's designed us to relate to people yes. is by talking and being mm-hmm. and sitting with yes. each other, especially as women. Mm-hmm. We all know we have a lot of words per minute mm-hmm. <laughs> come out of our <laughs> mouth. So I think it's so enriching too. It, re- it literally feeds your soul yes. when you can sit and mm-hmm. have time with other women who can encourage you in your season. Yeah. I've been very blessed. My best friend, she actually lives in Ellensburg, so that's kind of sad. We don't get to connect as often um, as we should, but I've had her, my neighbor, Abby, you also just speaking life like into me and over me is like invaluable to me because I just, I so feel for those women since I've been one of those women who don't have that. So yeah. 
Well, Angela, thank you so much for You're coming welcome. on the show. This was so fun. Thanks for sitting in my cabin. And you bet. <laughs> I've so enjoyed our conversation. Yes, it's been great. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Angela. I think it's pretty amazing how strong she was able to be for her family in such a season of uncertainty. It didn't have anything to do with her own strengths and abilities. I know Angela would say that it was the Lord who held her steady. After we stopped recording, Angela told me that while she was pregnant with her second baby, she just knew that she needed to hire me to be her doula. She was struggling to feed her family and herself, but she had this gut instinct that I needed to attend her birth, but I knew nothing about her financial situation at the time. She didn't say a word to me, and I found out later that a friend of hers had lent her money to hire me, and I was just so in awe of her composure and her strength and just her grace in that season. I had no idea that she was going through something so challenging. I loved our conversation about contentment. This theme just keeps coming up and coming up over again for me. I talked about last week in episode six, how the Lord has been so continuing this theme in my life and it just keeps coming up. I want us to be a community that kills comparison so that joy can flourish. In my experiences as a doula and a childbirth educator and just being a mama myself, the moms who really thrive in the postpartum period are the ones who are surrounded by community and support. They have assembled this village and they know where to find help and they're not afraid to ask. There are tons and tons of resources out there. Find a mom and baby support group and surround yourself with other moms who can hold you up when you're feeling weak. Because there will be moments when you feel weak. We all do. But we are stronger together. I believe that with all that I am. One of my friends posted this last weekend on her social media that she was in survival mode. Her son was sick. Her husband was gone. She's pregnant. And she had been up all night. We all have those moments when we just don't know how we're going to survive. We feel frazzled and exhausted and irritable with nothing left to pull from in the tank. In those moments, sometimes I think we just need to know that we're doing a good job. We don't have to have answers. We don't even necessarily need to change the situation. We are enough. We will not drown. We just need to keep telling ourselves that we can do it, that we will be able to stay awake for a little bit longer. Relief will come if we can only hang on. And in those moments, it's hard to take your eyes off of your own stuff, off of your own struggle. Sometimes our immediate needs distort our vision for good reason, you know, for good reason. Sometimes we can't see beyond our own situation and our own crisis. In those moments, we've got to take our eyes off of what is in front of us and see Jesus. And you all, I am preaching to myself here too. When we put our eyes on Jesus, we see that we have all that we need. He has never left us. He is providing for us. Although it may not be how we would have liked him to provide or for things to happen, God's been speaking to me this week so much about taking my eyes off of my own stuff, off of what I'd like to see happen and to just serve those around me. 
I think when we serve and love and show up for people, somehow our own stuff just gets smaller. Our problems start shrinking and we find a way out. I'm working on it. It's hard to do. And I pray that I can be a mama who can encourage, serve, and minister to the moms around me, even in the middle of my own mess. Because the reality is we all have our own mess. It's just going to look different from season to season, but there will always be something big or small to deal with. So let's encourage those closest to us this week. Message a mom friend or just a friend in your life and let her know that she's doing a great job. She needs to hear it and you need to be the one to tell her. Thank you all so much for listening and supporting the show. I've been so encouraged by all of your messages and your kind words. I read all of them. Thank you to those of you who left me a rating and a review on iTunes. Your words are not lost on me. I so appreciate them. For those of you who haven't had a chance to leave me a review on iTunes, I would be so grateful if you'd be willing to do that this week. Those reviews really do help people find the show and encourage more women who need to hear a message of hope. If you would like to share your birth story on the show or know a friend who has a great story, would you please have them or yourself email me at elise at elisemarsh.com. I'd love to hear from you. For those of you who are new to the show, I want to share with you a free resource I've created for every pregnant mama. Head on over to my website, elisemarsh.com, and sign up for my six-day email course designed to help you have the best birth experience possible. I share tons of great information and resources with you in the course. For links to the resources we talked about in today's episode, head on over to my show notes page at elisemarsh.com slash podcast. To all of my listeners, thank you for being here. You are why this show exists. Have a great week, you guys. Share the show with a friend, and I will see you back here next week. Bye.